1: Hi, kids! Welcome to Just a Game. I'm me. You're you. Thanks for being here. As we begin, uh, well, full on the second week of September, so you know what that means. Uh, we're getting into hockey season for sure. Uh, welcome. It is, of course, a uh, inclusive program. Everybody is welcome here. We are broadcasting live from Treaty Seven Territory on what has turned out to be a very lovely week uh, um, heading into the middle of the month already, if you can believe it, it feels like we just took a, a day off because of a long weekend. And and now we're back. Um, more hockey this week is, uh, the NHL, uh, begins to ramp up the Calgary flames, begin to ramp up Ryan Pike managing editor from flames nation will join us. Um, and it'll be, I, I think a very spirited conversation. I gotta be honest with you. Um, Ryan does us a real solid by listening to the program, and he will he will call me on my, um, you know, crap. And I know a couple weeks ago I I, I said, "Jesus, is it all negative stories?" And and Ryan called me out on that. So we'll see. I I, I am uh, terrible at predictions. I e the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, it's one game. There's more. They still could make the playoffs despite losing in Cleveland yesterday. Um, and oh, um, for all of you, and I know a handful of you are out there for you giants fans, <laughs> Wow, <clears throat> Wow, whoa, that's about all I'm gonna say on that topic. Um, now, to go from the absurd to serious for a second, it is the twenty second anniversary of September eleventh uh, two thousand and one. Uh, the attacks on uh, not only the twin towers in in New York, but uh, the Pentagon in Washington, and um, just a, a moment in history uh, that you don't have to necessarily be an American citizen to appreciate um, the significance and the gravitas of. Um, for myself, is a you know somewhat. Uh, of a, a history, adjacent history relevant person. I I I'm aware of history. And um, you know, there are those moments in time, you know, when the man landed on the moon or, you know, uh, you know, D-Day or, you know, uh, the declaration of the end of the World War II, those types of things that are often spoken about where were you when. Uh for me, there have been a handful of those in my lifetime. I am a student of the game, but too young to remember exactly where I was uh, in 72 in the Summit Series. Uh, but that was certainly for this country, a, a, you know, a turning point. There were many minor, uh, not minor, that's, that's the wrong term. Um, many other things that uh, throughout my life, I think we can go back and go, I, I remember where I was. But um, nothing chills me to the bone as much as remembering September 11th, 2001 getting up in the morning and for no reason, none whatsoever. And I know this sounds made up and I know this sounds like it's bullshit. Pardon me, Ty, but I turned on the TV. I never watched TV in the morning. Never. I turned on the TV and there it was unfolding in front of me. And, and, uh, uh to this day, you know, there's a lot, I, I don't know if you have those same moments in your life, but there are things that, um, resonate and, and kind of break away the bonds of time. Uh, it almost feels like yesterday. I can remember, you know, the thoughts. I can remember the conversations. I can remember, and, and quite honestly, in the infancy, uh, no social media at that point, but the infancy of the internet, still not everybody was wired. I think we were all on email, but we were all, you know, hit and miss on the internet. Just the wild misinformation that flew around for 24, 48 hours. Um, and then to watch um, the nation of, you know, our 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 biggest trade partner, you know, our friends to the south go through what they went through. Um, all of the stories that came out of it, the heroics, um, just even the institution, you know, we declared war on institutionalism and institutional thinking. And you saw those issues which per, are, are prevalent today in the aftermath of that event. Um, the restriction to healthcare for first responders and and just in many ways the way um, you know, and some people have been cast aside in all of this. Um, it had a, a profound impact on the the world, good, bad, or indifferent. It had a profound impact on um the, the way we travel, the way we view people, all of those sort of things. Um one thing that it reminds us is the power of sport and the power of entertainment it was through sport that we eventually came back and and got into those routines and found ways to distract ourselves it was through entertainment that we came together and and we acknowledged that this was challenging for all of us but we would get through it together um I often say that I, you know, I, I this isn't a job. You know, Jack and I just spent the last half hour, John, you know, John back and forth about the business and personalities and things like that. This is the playpen. This is the the you know the sandbox of life. Um, so often, and I, you know, I when I came back in February, I did a big long diatribe and and set the manifesto. But it's called just a game for a reason, and. It was around 2001, just a little later on, that <clears throat> I would launch just a game uh, up in Edmonton. And, and Jason Greger would eventually replace me as I moved down here. And, and he really took that brand. But it was out of 9-11 that I was reminded about the importance of just entertaining people, of giving people a distraction, of of how it was you saw first responders and the ugliness and the, and the, and the, just the the chilling things that they saw just acting like kids when athletes would come around and acknowledge them and point to them and celebrate with them. There's value in that. And it's just a reminder to me that as excited as we get, as upset as we get, Yes, the Calgary Flames have some questions, and we will get to those. And, yes, the Calgary Stampeders are really struggling, and we'll get to that. Um, It is just a game. And I'll never forget Boomer and I doing a live show on 960 at Rocky Mountain Power Equipment. Anyway, it was the Honda store on McLeod Trail just down by – uh, south of South Centre and, and around Shaughnessy there. You'll you, It's on the east side. Um, I'm not sure it's the same owners, but we were doing a live show there. And uh, we were, I can't even remember what we were talking about. We were just having some fun. And, and a guy was hanging around and we went to break and he just came over and he said, guys, I just want to thank you. And we said, "Oh, you know, being the pompous asses we are, ah, you're welcome, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he told us the story of, you know, he was a cancer survivor and every day, he drove from out of town into Calgary to get chemo, and he listened to the show. And for him, it was a distraction. And to this day, that remains the single greatest honor that you can give somebody in this role. It, that's, we are not changing the world. We're here to take you out of the world and give you a break and let you forget about your worries. I, I, one of my favorite shows is Cheers, and I love the theme to Cheers, right? Everybody knows your name. This is where you come and you lay down your trouble troubles and you just be amongst your friends. So on the twenty second anniversary of nine eleven, I just want to recognize for people my age uh, what it means and and how even to this day um, I get chills. Just um, I don't know if chills is the right word, but I I, I get anxious um, thinking about watching those videos in real time and. Um, having no you know, no connection other than it was on my television and everybody was talking about it. But here's hoping that we can take and, and have some fun and, uh, and, again, remind ourselves the importance of the need for sport and entertainment. All right, let's start with good. Okay, we just got a little serious. Let's get good. How about Canada? How about that? How about our first-ever medal at the FIBA Men's World Championships? How about the fact that you you win bronze? you lose silver, you win bronze? You still rather have silver, but I get that. But you win bronze and you beat the Americans, um, you beat the Americans in overtime, you beat the Americans to do it. Uh, Germany wins Serbia, who beat you picks up silver. Um, I remember. About two thousand and sixteen, it sure seemed like there was a lot of young Canadian talent coming into the NBA. And Michael Grange from SportsNet would join me on the old show, and he would talk uh, glowingly about the future of basketball in Canada, not just the men. Let's recognize the women. The women, much like they are in soccer, have been ahead of the men curve, the male curve in their success. And the expectations—they've led the way, but the men have have quickly followed in behind. And and I know at that time we were beginning to prognosticate: Would 2020? Would we have an all NBA team at the Olympics? Would we, you know, would we clash with the Americans? Would be? Would we be a world, you know, uh, title contender, Olympic gold medalist contender? All of those sort of things. Uh, and it hasn't worked out that way, really hasn't, until this tournament. And now we've qualified for Paris 2024. We win a medal. Um, We aren't just a hockey nation. I say that proudly as someone who loves the game of hockey. Uh, I say it proudly as someone who believes in multi-sport, that we aren't just a uh, a hockey nation anymore. Uh, We've had some success in tennis, not as much as we'd like, and maybe we deserve more there. And that seems to be the Canadian way, is that, we get a little taste of it and we think we're going to take off, but something gets in our way. I mean, look no further than we got back to the world cup and what an abject disaster soccer Canada has turned into in the aftermath of that. The the men's world cup, we should mention that the women had just won Olympic gold. Um, But I'm very excited about uh, our opportunities um, in basketball. And I, I bring you this. Nothing gives me more pleasure then turning on an American sports show and listening to them get all pissy because Canada beat them in overtime. I have always looked towards the Dan Patrick show as my uh, bellwether uh, in sports media. I I think he's the best at it. I think he does the best show. He certainly took this format early on and created what we're all doing now, you know, with technology, uh, he's always been a pioneer, but listening this morning and listening to that program, uh, lose, lose a little bit of their crap about Canada beating them and beginning to look at the rosters and how good the Canadian roster was with all NBA players and, and Dylan and, and, and all, you know, all, all of these guys. I love it. 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 Um, and then I don't know if you caught this story, but LeBron James is riding to the rescue for the usa he's he wants to play in paris and he wants to bring steph curry and kevin durant with him bring it on uh i believe i am no expert but i believe canada was missing a couple of our top guys too because of injuries um i love it i i think if if we've punched the Americans in the nose so much that arguably the greatest basketball player in the world thinks he needs to ride in on a white horse and save their butts at at Paris. God love them. Let's do it. I hope that the rest of the Canadian, I hope it's an impossible task to pick team Canada. How cool would that be? And then for it to live up to, do I think that we can beat the Americans at their height with their best players, with their best team? No, but do I think we can beat an overconfident, arrogant American team? Yes, I do. Yes, yes, I do. And our dear friend, Peter Labardius, who is all things Canada, I can only imagine the celebration that would be in, in, in if Canada beat the U.S. at the Olympics for a medal in basketball, I can only imagine the celebration forthcoming after that. It probably, It probably should be broadcast live. So congratulations to uh, Team Canada. Congratulations to Basketball Canada. Uh, congratulations to everybody involved. I think that's amazing. I think that's outstanding. A little tougher, closer to home. Uh, good news, bad news weekend. Uh, we, we brought you the story of Butch Wolfleg, who broadcasted the Monday Calgary version of the Labor Day Classic in Blackfoot. Uh, He was able to do the second half up in Edmonton in Blackfoot. I I tip my hat to uh, the Elks and the Stampeders and the CFL for making that happen. I think you build bridges. I think you build new fans when you make the game accessible in other languages. It was not only broadcast in Blackfoot. I believe it was broadcast in a couple of different languages. So love that. Didn't like the result. Walk-off win for the Elks. Um, Not stunning. I wouldn't say stunning. Uh, disappointing for sure. I, I would, this great opportunity for me to plug our friend, um, Danny Austin and live from the 55, he had Ian and Buzz on today. They'll break it down way better than I can. Um, but I would suggest to you that, uh, it's, it's going to be a tall task for the Peters to find themselves into the postseason. And it's been a long time since we talked about this. It's been a long, long time since, um, you know, labor day was You know, might have been the the moment in time now, technically, mathematically, all of those sort of things. But see, to in the position that they're in, they have to put together wins now. They have to roll Saskatchewan and and do some, although Saskatchewan got absolutely rolled by Winnipeg. Um, I, I, it really does feel like it's Toronto and Winnipeg's league, and everybody else is just in it. Uh, no disrespect to the BC Lions. Uh, but I would suggest that uh, um, that that's beginning to to be what it feels like. Um, I, I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I've long held the opinion that Calgary, for some reason, is a marketplace. All marketplaces, all sports marketplaces, are different. They all have a different sensibility to them. Edmonton's very much a bunker. Um, they love to criticize their teams, but nobody from outside of Edmonton is allowed to criticize their teams. That's how I've always found it here. Ever since I've got here and, and worked in this market since 2003, we love firing coaches. We just love firing coaches. Firing coaches is a hobby around here and it's happened way too often. And we, this is not at, you know, Dave Dickinson. I know he's been a coach for a long time and he's just the new GM. This, this is, to me, a cycle thing, you, I will defer to the Danny Austins and the Ian Busbys of the world if they disagree. But I think, you know, it, it, you can only be at the top for so long. At some point, you have to cycle down and start over again. Um, I watch Jake Mayer. Um, I'm patient. I, I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. I may be wrong on that. Um, there's blips and pieces of this team I really, really like but it doesn't quite seem as deep and as talented as other teams have in the past. Will that come back? Is that a function of giving young players opportunities? I don't know. Um, But I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You will not have me canvassing for a new head coach in Calgary. That is not going to happen on my watch. Um, The other thing, speaking of you know, good news, bad news. Good news: uh, the cavalry. Don't know if you've noted for a team that struggled out of the gate at the beginning of this CPL season, couldn't pick up wins, couldn't wasn't losing lots of lots of draws, but wasn't picking up wins, wasn't scoring a lot. Uh, Tommy Wieldon Jr., uh, manager of the month. How do we feel about managers of the month? Jack, do you like that? Do you think the the NFL should have a coach of the month? You think? The NHL should have a coach of the month award?
3: No. I don't I don't know. Do you like it?
1: Um, I hadn't really noticed it till Tommy won it. Yeah. And then I'm like, is this a team a month? Team of the month award? Like, w- what demonstratively did Tommy Wheeldon Jr. do differently in the month of August that he didn't do in the month of July? He won more games. That's all. <laughs> right? So I was thinking about that, like. like What if we had coach of the month in the NFL? Right? No. Doesn't fly, does it? No. Not there. All right. But we accept it and endorse it in the CPL, especially when Tommy Wieldon Jr. wins it. And he has done that. Uh, The Cavalry find themselves four points ahead on the table. Uh, They are in top spot with 40 points. They are down into the uh, short strokes. They had a a nil-nil draw with their longtime nemesis, the Forge, over the weekend on the road. Um, like to see if we can get Marco Carducci back in here in the next little while, the goaltender joined us at the beginning of the season. And he said, be patient. He said, wait, things, things will come around and they have, um, I know we're talking about a nil, nil draw, but they seem to be able to score. They seem to be able to score at will or at times that they need to, I should say. Um, and then again, you know, I'm, I, what am I going to do? He's a friend of the program. Marco Carducci gives you another clean sheet. Um, so lots, lots to be excited about there. Um, talked to, talked about it off the top. This is a big week. If you are a fan of prospect tournaments, um, and the flames will be going to Penticton to play in the young stars classic, um, have, um, it's, it's, oh, and here's the, thank you. Here's the roster, um. I think you're looking at a uh, lots of interesting names, but to me, it's Matt Coronado, uh, Sam Honzik, who are at the top there, Jeremy Poirier, we talked about the defenseman. Um, certainly want to pick the brain of uh, Ryan Pike when he gets here, because he's done his mailbag and he's done his, um, you know, his other pieces. Um, so he's going to have a much better sense of who everybody's excited about. Um, I'm we've had this conversation. I don't do fantasy because I draft good teams with quality people. You do not win fantasy that way. Having said that, I have nothing but great things to say about the human, the human being and the defenseman. I think he's pretty good too. He's Tyson Galloway from the uh, Calgary hitman. He's uh, going to be on that roster. I see Oliver Tulk as well. So a couple of hitmen we saw, the Hitman draft a, um, a Flames drafted European player. So I'm hoping that we're going to see these two teams working a little bit more together. Um, I got to admit, uh, not sure about the goaltending. Uh, you're in that spot in the cycle. And it's certainly something we're going to talk about with Ryan Pike. It looks like the Flames are going to have three goalies on the main roster and then Oliver or, uh, and then Oscar Dansk, not Oliver, Oscar. And, uh, some, uh, some, another prospect down on the farm, um, not really sure about the, uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm expecting Coronado to make this team out of training camp. I, I don't know why I just am a little bit of a more mature player, uh, world championship experience. Uh, you know, he's the guy that everybody, if you're looking at the top flames prospects, he's the guy along with Wolf that gets listed. Um, you know, Hanzik's your first pick gonna play in Vancouver sounds like he's gonna play up the middle in Vancouver which is, is a good position for the Flames um but as well you know Jan Kunetsov is a defenseman that's had some American hockey experience for the last couple of years uh Rory Kearns I remember during the uh the COVID season when the uh, Stockton Heat played Rory had a brief uh opportunity up there because there was no Ontario Hockey League he was there as a young 18 year old um so lots and lots of, you know, the, the Moran kid, they drafted the defenseman that they're very excited about out of the Quebec League. Um, this looks like a roster that I suspect people are going to be excited about. This looks like a roster that I think, that, and when I say people, I think the diehard, the fans of prospects, the the, the people that follow that stuff, the the people that, and, and again, it's, it's not a criticism, but... There are, there are some people whose fandom is more interested in what could be, or what might be coming rather than what is here right now. So the prospect tournament runs, uh, Calgary plays three games, uh, Friday against Vancouver, Saturday against Edmonton. And then they're off on are off till Monday, uh, when they play the Winnipeg Jets. So the the four Western Cana- Canadian teams at this tournament, um, it's a fun time. I, I, I've, I've called games there. I've called games on the radio there. Boomer and I were there at the first one. Boomer and I were in, I don't know if people remember, but we, the Flames used to play up in uh, Camrose, played the Oilers up in Camrose a couple of times. And uh, Dion Phaneuf broke some glass up there and stuff. So they didn't invite him back because it was expensive. <clears throat> but anyway, then they started Penticton. Um, but I, I, I'm just not as into it as I used to be. Um, I got I, Probably it peaked for me. Uh, when broadcasters were including the points at this tournament with preseason points and and games in this tournament with preseason games, and I thought that's just a little silly. Quite honestly, that's a, that's just a little bit silly. <clears throat> but what a great opportunity for fans to see the young players. And if you've, if you've never been to Penticton, lovely little town with a couple of really crackerjack restaurants. So we'll talk to uh, Ryan about that. Uh, Flames will have their golf tournament on Wednesday. Uh, been off to Penticton and then camp again begins in earnest next week. Captain skates are already underway. Um, nothing has dramatically changed. I think uh, I saw uh, Julian McKenzie on the athletic today, writing his top six stories. I think all of the, the broadcasters and the, and the media people are beginning to to line up their stories heading into this camp. Um, I, I'm not as bent out of shape about, I believe it's now six guys that are due contracts next year because <laughs> they traded to Foley. Um, I'm not as bent out of shape about that stuff as some people are. And I, I maybe I should be um, fascinated by what you do uh, in goal um, with three goalies. Um, I'm not sure that I'm, are you a three goalie guy? Are you, would you, do you buy into that? You, Cause you've seen that, haven't you, Jack? Now, oh hey, three goalies—it's the way to go. So everybody's fresh. Are you a three goalie guy? No, no, no. It it sounds made up to me.
3: Yeah, like so—is that like they'd actually go into the season with three goalies on the roster, or Wolf would be in the A and then he'd come up?
1: I'll ask Pike, but my understanding is what we're talking about right now is three goalies. That doesn't make sense to me. No, no, it's not enough work. And, and, it get, and it gets cluttered, and then always somebody has their head on a swivel, and uh, and they're all good people. Don't get me wrong; I don't think there's a, a, a prima donna in the bunch, but it does beg itself for um, it begs itself for problems, and and that's what I mean. I, I'm starting to see these stories. Not Ryan didn't write them, and I don't even think they're on Flames Nation, but other places. Oh, you know, now's the time to have three goalies because you can rest. You know what you can do? You can overthink. And sometimes I think we're all guilty of overthinking. And I'll tell you this the story today, the stories today in training camp very rarely end up being the stories by the end of training camp. There's going to be an injury in there, there's going to be a standout performance, or there's going to be a problem performance where somebody's, you know, the coach comes out and goes, ah, we're not worried about him, he'll be fine. Yet we're all worried about him because him is not, and I don't know who him is. I just, I know this happens. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I, I think we watch with great interest, the three goalies and the blue line, um, you know, the return of Oliver Shillington, um, not having uh, Michael Stone there as that, you know, emergency blanket. Um, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, Hannafin's again, part of that whole conversation about, you know, who's staying and who's going. Um, and, and then, you know, all eyes are on the young guys. And I have been around enough flames training camps to know that there's almost a danger in saying, Oh, it's the young guys jobs to lose because they very rarely pop for you. Then that's when you tend to get into trouble. And then it's the odd time where, uh, they pop and you go, well, I wasn't expecting that. Now, can we? you know, make some room for that person. So with Ryan Huska and Craig Conroy, this being their first crack at a camp that they run, but not a flames camp should prove to be very, very interesting. Uh, let's bring in our guest brought to you by ski seller, snowboard, ski Sellersnowboard.com, 1946 folks, 1946 is when they opened their doors right here in our city. They'll be celebrating their 77th anniversary this year. Uh, two locations are open right now. I told you three, that's my bad. Apparently, when somebody gives you two and you add a third one, um, that's just not good math. Right now, the McLeod Trail by Chinook Center is open and the Bow Ridge Road Northwest location by the McDonald's uh, down by Windsport that is open right now in anticipation of what could be a very, very big winter. And, and I say this all the time, who do you want to get your equipment from? Who do you want to ask your questions to? Uh, people who are doing it as a part-time job. There's nothing wrong with people working part-time jobs. Or do you want to get it from people who are taking the gear and using it themselves on the weekends and during the week and, and really putting it through its paces. That's why you go to ski seller, snowboard skisellersnowboard.com. You know, i you love them as the managing editor of flames nation. And my understanding, I have it on good authority that will become a noted author later on this winter as well. Uh, I believe his first book comes out. Uh, Uh, I
4: believe, I think uh, it's penciled for the Spring. The Spring. Yeah. Okay.
1: But it's coming out still, right? Oh yeah, it'll be out during the season. It'll be out during the season. That's all we need to know. But noted author. Uh, Ryan Pike, kind enough to rejoin us as our as our Flames and NHL insider again this season. Uh, did you get much of a break this summer? Was it? I mean, in, as compared to summers past, I would say compared to last year, much quieter, but in a different way, perhaps.
4: Yeah, and and I think it's sort of a, a product of just sort of the way things are because I think you know you you know you've spoken quite a bit uh, both today and in days past about you know uh, you know the fact is the Flames brought in a, a general manager who's very familiar with the hockey club and they brought in a, a head coach that's very familiar with the hockey club, but you know the problem is even if one or both of those gentlemen want to make sweeping changes, it takes two to tango. And, you know, yep. I've, I've been talking to folks around the game, you know, uh, and it's, everyone's jammed up. There are maybe a half dozen teams that have cap space and they're asking an arm and a leg and firstborn child to do anything. Mm-hmm. And if you're, say, hypothetically, the Calgary Flames and, you ha- you know, Noah Hannafin has reportedly told the club, Yeah, I'll play out my contract, but I'm probably going to go somewhere else after that. No hard feelings, you know, which is his prerogative. That's his right as a as a as someone who's under contract for only one year. He was straight up with them by all accounts. If you're the Flames and you want to maximize his value, you probably in your mind have an idea of what you're willing to settle for. And. The reason why we haven't seen trades at this point is mm-hmm. the Flames simply haven't gotten an offer that was remotely close to what they wanted to settle for. I would say the same kind of thing is in the case of Dan Vladar. I mean, those are the two trades everyone yeah. and their dog has been going, hey, Pike, when are they trading Vladar? so they can bring Wolf up? And the answer is when they get a deal that they don't hate. And the problem is with everyone having you know cap space. I, I wrote about this in the mailbag this morning or on Monday on the site. Yep. I think the big challenge is So we're at the point now where, you know, optimism, sometimes blind optimism reigns supreme in September or October because everyone's undefeated. Everyone's in the best shape of their lives, except for us media types and some of us are (laughs) in the worst shape of our lives. But the, the idea is Optimism reigns supreme and everyone, everyone's undefeated and, oh boy, just watch, this this person's going to have a bounce back. And you know, uh, one of our readers uh, suggested the Buffalo Sabres, for example, as a, as a potential fit for a, a Hannafin and or Vladar trade. And the problem is, A, much like a lot of teams, the Sabres have made a bunch of moves already and they probably feel okay about the seven-rate defensemen they have coming into camp on one ways. Uh, and B... You know, they they have, uh, in D- on Levi, uh, a very respected mm-hmm. and, and decorated collegiate goalie who they think could be as good as Dustin Wolf. So, you know, if you're – and I think, you know, not just a nitpick about Buffalo, but I think if you go through the entirety of the NHL, there are probably 32 teams out there who feel fairly good about their NHL tandems having done their tweaks. Yep. And it won't be until somebody comes to camp and looks – horrible for lack of their term until somebody gets hurt or somebody wildly underperforms, you don't really see a lot of dominoes toppling.
1: No. And, and I was going to, I think Vladar and Hannafin are different from this standpoint. I think Vladar can sell that issue can be solved. And I hate to be morbid like this, but it's with a significant injury, right? Somebody goes down with a significant injury. He has a cap hit that's friendly. I think that's how that one gets solved. Hannafin's not that. I mean, yeah, defensemen are going to get injured, but that's still not that. Yeah,
4: and, and you know, if, if Rob, if you and I were GMs and you and I were trying to make a trade, yep. it doesn't take, it wouldn't take a lot for me to convince you that, I wouldn't say the Flames have misused Dan Vildara because I don't think that's the case. I think they've used him quite well for a guy mm-hmm. with so little NHL experience. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Flames and the mandate is get there and try to make some noise once you get there, you know, you're going to lean on the guy you're paying six million bucks for. You're going to lean on the guy who, you know, when, when the, a year ago, when he had when Jacob Markstrom had his uh, Norris or his Vesna, pardon, his Vesna <laughs> runner up season. I knew what he, you meant. <laughs> uh, when he had that season, I think there's a lot of folks around the league, especially in Western Canada, folks who are very familiar with him and who went. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. And that's sort of the potential that the Flames see in him and that's the potential that they still, I think they still see in him. So they didn't really use, like Ladar doesn't have showy numbers because Ladar basically the gig was to come in and, you know, you're the reset guy. You're the mop-up guy. You're going to be playing the middle game in three and four nights or the end game in three and four nights. So it's kind of the the same role that David Riddick got. And I think, you know, it, it speaks to, I think, in a lot of ways, how good Vladar has been—that he's adapted to a really tough job as a relatively untested young pro—and I think, you know, that's the kind of context that you you would be given to your potential trade partners, being like, "Oh, well, he could easily be a one B easily. Has he been one here? Well, yes. That's not really the role he's been asked to do.
1: Do You know, so I think you can sell him. You know who you reminds me of? Not it's not. I hate when everybody goes, "Oh, it's just like it's not just like this." But it reminds me a little bit of Ben Bishop. If you remember no. Ben Bishop's, he was an Ottawa senator. Who remembers that, right? And to me, that's what Vladar is. Vladar is that big. Goalie. Jacob
4: Markstrom was that when he was yeah, in yeah. Florida. Well, he was sort of he was, he was sort of caught down the depth chart a bit, and that's how he ended up in Vancouver because there was a lot of shuffling that had to be done in Vancouver because Markstrom was sort of the guy that he was around the periphery of that roster. But but I don't think Vladar has
1: better. that many. Vladar doesn't have that much American League experience, though, right? Because he bit. play he played in Boston and then he's played here as a young guy. You know what I mean? As a goalie, yeah, yeah. right? And and I think we've seen this movie before. I I don't I have no doubt in my mind that you and I could be talking in two or three years from now about Dan Vladar being an all star starter on another team. I yeah. I
4: could see that. He and he's 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 got the you know I I think, I I don't think we talk enough about the the. The wealth of uh, good goaltenders the Flames have in their system right now because I
1: needed to ask you that yeah you know because
4: J- Jacob Markstrom was the second team All Star runner up for the Vezina a couple of years ago disclosure yep. I had him I had him fourth on my ballot for the for the sure. All Star I didn't have him oh, yeah. but I, he's really like he, he was he was he was one of the a handful of guys that could have been an All Star it was a good year. He had an excellent, excellent year yeah. Uh. in a year where a lot went well for the flames. Your sure. second goalie is a guy who's 25, 26 and still really scratching the surface of what he could be, especially yeah. in, in a realm where unless you're a high, high end prospect or high, high end pick, you really don't get pushed to the front of the line in systems anymore uh, for a while because teams are so risk averse. And, you know, with goalies, you should be. Yeah, uh, your, th- your number three is the reigning MVP of the, the <laughs> AHL and has been the Uh, the top goaltender in his year in his league every year since he's been drafted yeah Uh, and he was and the year his draft year he was a first team all-star of the whl like he was he's been a legit high high end goaltender in every league he's played in for at least the past five years and the year before that he was backing up carter hart so he's he's had a he has a good resume oscar dansk i think is you know, one of those guys where again we talk about how tough it is to play behind Markstrom. Playing behind Dustin Wolf is a really thankless job because mm-hmm. you know, unless unless Wolf gets called up, you're not really going to be used a lot. And I think you have to have a certain kind of mentality to succeed in that role. And I think Oscar Dance, going off the ice, you know, I've heard rave reviews about him. They love him. Yeah, and you know he's he's the, he's the exact type of human being right. you need for that kind of role because especially if the idea is in a year or two maybe you're going to start cycling non-Dustin Wolf young goalies through that system, you know Oscar Dance could carve out a pretty good living for himself just being you know the the Crash Davis of the uh, <laughs> the, the net in in for the Wranglers and but I th- I think that's a really important role to have and then when you get beyond him. I mean, uh, they have you know they just announced the, the prospect camp roster today. Yeah. Uh, Connor Murphy and Matt Radomski are on AHL deals. They're probably going to Rapid City if, uh, unless somebody gets moved or somebody gets hurt. And you know, Rapid City has not signed anybody to ECHL deals for this year for goaltenders. So I think they're probably operating on the assumption that Radomski and Murphy are down there. Uh, both of them collegiate goalies, coming off of pretty good uh, collegiate careers. Uh, Radomsky played a, a game as backup behind Danska uh, when Dustin Wolf got called up to the NHL at the end of the season. They know them both pretty well, having them had them in camp for a bit. And they both right. went to you know, they both got AHL deals and then went to dev camp. So they're guys they know. And then, oh, behind there, you got Yegor Yegorov in Russia, and you have perhaps one of the more underrated prospects in the system in in uh at the University of Connecticut. So they, you know, they pro- they're about in terms of prospects of note they have a lot of different options and i think when you have that ability to find interesting people interesting players throughout the the hockey world it gives you the ability to sort of mix and match and you know play your hand and right now the hand they have is they have perhaps the best goaltender not in the nhl to steal a jay feasterism uh and he's waiver-exempt. They don't have to do anything necessarily with him this year or next year. And so I don't okay. think you necessarily want to hold him back because of the waivers system. But he also gives the ability that you don't need to go out tomorrow and make a bad trade just to free up a spot. So and
1: Jack was asking me that before. I think I got this wrong. They don't have to carry three. No. Okay.
4: It, it isn't It isn't like Yoni Ortio. They're not going to lose somebody because they want to carry three goalies. If they okay. carry three goalies, they have the ability to sort of just – you know, send him down on off days or call him up on off days. I I don't think, a three goalie system has ever worked well, the National Hockey League, or at least in yes, recent memory seen, in this city, it hasn't worked very no, well.
1: But but you've seen peers of yours, not I don't not suggesting it was in Flames Nation, but peers of yours have been writing about well, the three goalie system is the route to go to keep people you know rested the, the, and things like that. The, the, year, re-
4: the, the year the Flames finally put, like, the, bit the bullet and brought up Trevor Kidd full time after the he was playing for the national team, they brought up Trevor Kidd, yeah, and they had to keep Jason. Mazzotti up because of waivers. They had to keep Mike Vernon up because he was Mike Vernon. Yep. And then they also had Jeff Reese up because uh, you know, Jeff Reese still had a contract and they yep. carried four goalies for I the know. first like yeah. six weeks of the season. And then yeah. thankfully, Jeff Reese got hurt and then they only had to carry three and then they just bit the bullet and sent Muzzotti down. Yeah, but okay you know, you ideally, you know, for, for so many reasons, you know, practices, like you only got two nets, you're going to rotate guys. Like unless there's strong extenuating circumstances that dictate you got to carry more than two, I, I agree. you shouldn't carry more than two.
1: No, but you know what? I think I got lulled into this conversation so much that, and I, I, I said to Jack, I was going to have to ask you this because I, I, I got lulled into this conversation so deep that I thought they had to carry all three, but you're right. He's waiver exempt, so he could go up and down, but you want to make like, at some point, what else can the guy do? You've got to, uh, you know, and Ryan, I might be making a, a big mountain out of a molehill here, but if you not burying Wolf, but let's say you keep Wolf down there, right. And you don't play him or anything like that. That's also a message, right? That's the yeah. other potential players, people, you want to be like, I, I think they've. There's been a couple of players over the last couple of years that I think they didn't like. Some internally didn't like the way they were dealt with because it sent a bad message to potential players who might join the organization because of the way they were handled.
4: Yeah, and and I'll I'll, I'll I've been critical. Like Danny and I had a nice conversation when I was on with him a couple of weeks ago about Sam Bennett, and I think we also touched on Yusuf Alamaki. In both those cases, I mean. Keeping a player in a specific situation to maximize your flexibility, it's tough because you're going to have to live with like either way, you're Mm -hmm. going to live with your decision. So what happened with Sam Bennett is Bennett blew out his shoulder in training camp. He already had an existing shoulder injury, I believe, when he got drafted. And then it was exacerbated a bit in uh, in training camp. And then he got his shoulder surgery. He was out most of the year. He went back to Kingston. And then when Kingston got knocked out of the playoffs, they brought him up, and he made his NHL debut at the very last day, I believe, of 14, 15. And yep. then he was around for the playoffs. Yep. And the Flames, you know, they they used him in the playoffs, and they should have. He was very good. He was easily, you know, one of their... Sure, <laughs> he was <laughs> an energy not- guy. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he fit exactly what they needed him to do, yep. you know, and so there was really... It would have sent a worse message to not use him in the playoffs than to use him. You have him available, so you got to use him. Because where are you going to put him? Just sit him down somewhere. Uh, but I think the challenge was the following year. You know, he he struggled a bit at times in his mm-hmm. first and second year. And they had, you know, because of his age, they had the opportunity to send him back to the O. They had the opportunity to send him back to the AHL his second year. Like they, yep. j- just for spoilers, everybody, uh, when a tr- when a twenty-year-old player is signed you got three years of waiver exemption for a skater and four years for a goalie. That's why yeah. Wolf is going to be waiver exempt till he's, just before he's, his 24th birthday. Right. Uh, for Sam Bennett, they had the ability to send him down for the first three years of his entry-level deal. They kept him up partially because it would be a bit awkward to send him down after he spent a year and a half in the NHL. But depending on what the plan was, I think you could sell that. You could have gone, well, you know... If you're going to be a center, we want you to go down and learn center at the AHL level and be an all-star center at the AHL, and we'll see you at Christmas. Same with Yusuf Alamaki. I think the challenge with Yusuf Alamaki is the waiver clock kept going on him after he got injured, and then by the time he finally got fully up to speed and they kind of knew what his limitations were, he was three years into his, his pro career and his waiver clock was done. And he, he they had to put up the waivers. Right. But you can't you know, you can't control when it, guys get hurt. You can't control. No. A lot. No, you, you can control sort of yeah. what the plan is and how you articulate the plan. And, you know, especially as, as much as, you know, I've never had to tell a 20 year old all star professional athlete, hey, we're sending you to Stockton and here's the plan for you. And it's, it's a shitty situation. It's a shitty conversation to have with a person. But in some cases, if you believe in your heart of hearts, that the best way to make sure that Sam Bennett, Yusuf Alamaki, Jeremy Poirier, Jacob Pelche, whoever, they're going to be the best NHL player, the best kind of asset for your organization in a year or two. Sometimes See, you got to bite the bullet.
1: Your examples are why I am so adamant that the coaches have a role to play in development. And last year, Daryl, Daryl wants, he does not want to develop at the NHL level. I, and I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, Ryan, and you were around then too, but I don't think that Bob Hartley did um Sam Bennett any favors by pumping his tires as hard as he did, as often as he did, to the point where it almost felt like man, they if they just got this Bennett kid in the lineup, they'd be fine. Fu- like that was over promotion. And I would say it was the kind of not, not it was a different scenario, but I don't think Daryl liked Valamackey and Daryl wasn't gonna play Valamackey. So what were you gonna do with Valamackey? And you yeah, end up losing on, and, and that's and I where think I think saw, you have I th- to be on. Just let me finish this. Sorry about this. Yeah. I want you to answer this, but th- that my point being is, this is where the coach and the GM have to be on the same plane and have the same plan. And 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 I'm all for promoting young guys and giving them their props, but I thought that Hartley, I thought Hartley was, and it was the reverse on Berchi. I thought yeah. Hartley was way too hard on Berchi. Yeah,
4: but I mean, that's I. I think that might be where the Flames have such a good situation here because ryan huska saw the american league team quite a bit last year so did so did craig conroy like the the flames i think the nice thing is the flames are going in like they have a coaching staff where kale mcclain is going into main camp having seen all these guys huska has seen all these guys pretty much most of their pro scouting apparatus most of their dev team has seen all these guys it's a lot of the same people mike you have a few new faces there like michael stone hasn't seen a lot of these guys he might have played with a few of them but he sort of You know, you get a different perspective. And I think having going into a camp like this, where you're going to have so many of these young guys potentially knocking on the door, you know, you kind of want to, I think having those perspectives will give you a better sense of who's ready, who's not. And like, I I think the biggest thing is when you go, Oh, so-and-so is not ready. Well, why aren't they ready? What part are they ready for? You know, and I think that's that might be one of the big benefits of having the the AHL club in town because mm-hmm. you have the ability yeah. of you know Matt Brown with their mental performance coach you can have set Matt Brown down with somebody and he can give you a pretty good assessment of how they're doing in terms of grasping the the nuances of specific things. Same with right. you know if they're defensemen you can you know you can plunk them down with. It's Michael Stone. You can plunk him down as a forward with Martin Jelna. You know, goalies can sit down with Sigalad. They have a lot of resources they didn't have before. And sure. not only do they not have them, but I think the way they're situated now makes it really easy for them to maximize the efi- the effectiveness of those resources. And it's all well and good to have them, but you got to use them well. And I think this this is going to be a really interesting camp for that part because, yeah. you know, Walker Dewar came in last year, and knocked on the door because, you know, what was the worst case scenario for Walker Durer? He came up as an injury call-up. And if it didn't work out, oh, boo-hoo, they would send him down and maybe, I don't know, they'd bring up somebody else. Maybe it'd be Clark Bishop, maybe it yep. be Kevin Rooney. But yep. someone else would have gotten his spot if he wasn't ready for it. But he seemed like he was ready for it. But, you know, I, I think the big challenge is, you know, we saw, we, you know, as as much as I, I, some of us are loath to it, but when Daryl said it was right, uh, Jacob Peltier did not have a good training camp last year. So nope. we're, we're heading into the Penticton tournament starting Friday, yep. and you know we're – disclosure, we're prepping sort of some notes for ourselves for what we want to watch in terms of player assessment, in terms of just benchmarking guys. And you would expect Matt Coronado – if Matt Coronado is going to be an NHL regular, and a lot of people think he could be or should be, but if he's going to be an NHL regular, uh, he needs to stand out. He needs to look like a guy who played in the World Championships, who played mm-hmm. high in college, who was a great – you know, very good to borderline great college player during his two years. He mm-hmm. needs to look like a guy that, you, you know, if you didn't have name, you know, name bars or numbers, you know, typically speaking, this is the kind of environment where you should be able to point out the guys who are first or second round draft picks. Uh, so if he, he doesn't should, stand out, he, he should. should. He so should. if he doesn't, why? But you really expect you, know, you expect these guys like, you know, you kind of expected Pelche to stand out a bit more than he did in last year's Penticton camp and in certain portions of the, of, the, of the preseason. And so, you know, when you're playing a, you know, when you're playing that split squad game on the Monday between Seattle and Calgary in two different cities, and you're sending the odds and sods, and you're basically saying the Wranglers and whichever junior players are still kicking around yeah. to, uh, to Climate Pledge to go play Seattle. So you're probably expecting your, your younger guys, the guys who are you know, your top-end prospects, you expect them to stand out. And even if the team loses, you expect them to sort of carry the nail a bit in those kind of environments. So it's about, I think a lot of it is about building the context for what the expectations are for players and why and why not they will succeed or struggle. But I, I think this is going to be a, a fascinating camp because I think they have a lot of different tools in place that they didn't really have mm-hmm. or didn't integrate well in the past. But I also think, you know, they, they have a, a lot of players who I think are further ahead than they were a year ago. And I think you're going to
1: be able to really do some nice comparisons in terms of where guys are at in their development. Well, maybe in the new building, they can take a page out of the blue Jays Dunedin complex and have the, the (laughs) department of science and human anatomy or whatever they do down there. their their high performance training center. Um, Okay. Let's, let's get into Penticton because you said something that the crusty, grumpy old me wants to fire back at, which is they should, but I went to enough Penticton's and saw enough high prospects or high, pro, you know, just go through the motions and, and get to another level when they, I mean, God forbid when Goudreau went and we were keeping track of his points and combining them with his preseason points and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> tell me who you're watching and uh, who you've seen this Flames roster. You know, who are you watching? Okay, I'm
4: gonna. I'll throw out a couple obvious ones, and I'll throw out some dark horses that I'm watching for other reasons. Sure. Obviously, Hanzik and Coronado yes. are first round picks. Yes. Hanzik is man shaped already. He's big. He's he needs to thicken out a little bit, I think. But sure. he's the kind of kid that you know he'll go from being a lanky 18 to a thick 20 or 22. He, you know, he. I don't uh, think he'll have any issues with that. But uh, in terms of some of the darker horses, yeah, uh, I really want to see how Etienne Moran... Uh, yeah. Yeah, how he he he's a great skater. He has I have been told by scouts maybe not Oliver Shillington level skating, but not far off. Wow! And you know uh, at the at the draft, Todd Button was really complimentary about how dynamic he can be in terms of using his teammates, using time and space, and sort mm-hmm. of using a lot of little subtleties in his game to create space for passes and for offensive plays. So Moren, I haven't seen a lot of him in person, but I'm really looking forward to seeing him both in Penticton and uh, hopefully a bunch in preseason because you know, he's he's one of those guys that scouts kept telling me, holy cow, he could have gone to the first round. He, he is that kind of talent. Wow, okay. uh, the other two guys I'm looking at are Parker Bell uh, yep. from Tri-City and yep. William Stromgren, formerly of a bunch of places in Sweden, but now the Wranglers. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, Parker Bell is about to turn 20. He's Mm -hmm. a uh, he's a 2003 birthday, so he could be playing in the American League as a 20 year old or he could be playing in the Western League as an overager. And so if he's, if uh, he has a good week or two here, if he looks like he could be a pro player, he could conceivably close out the month of September by getting an entry level contract. And I don't need to say that for a lot of these guys here. A lot of the, a lot of the guys who don't have contracts are definitely heading back elsewhere. You know, uh, a lot of the, the, the unsigned junior guys, like I don't think Jaden Lipinski will get a contract this week. For example, Uh, I don't think Moran will get a contract this week, Uh, but you know, some of the other guys have chances, but I think bell you know, this is this I think but Bell legitimately could put pen to paper if he looks like they think he can look. He was really, really good for Tri-City last yeah. year. Uh and I think, you know, people who I know who talk who follow the Western League look at him and say, you know, he's he's a guy who's got size and he knows how to use it. And it's a question of can he put it all together and become sort of a, a Michael Furlandy type at the NHL? Hmm. Uh he's kind of I'd say he's sort of up there with Mike with Lucas Siona in terms of Guys who are big and burly, but also don't lack skill gotcha. and are able to sort of use their size to gotcha. maximize the skill they have. Okay. Uh, and and Stronggren, I mean, Stronggren is one of those guys that, uh, you know, I, I I saw a lot of folks criticizing the Flames a bit for picking Stronggren instead of other guys. I think Logan Stankoven was available when Stromgren was picked in the second round in 21. Uh, I really like Stronggren as a player because he's got size and he's been playing in the sweeter system that – really emphasizes structure and two-way play. And he hasn't played a lot. He hasn't gotten, you know, a big role in Swedish Pro because in, in Europe, if you're someone that they...
2: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you.
0: Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
5: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. Mike Bolt, or if you're even if you're just a 20,
4: 21 year old, you're a fourth liner and you're a penalty killer, and then you you earn what you, you are in your keep, and then you get older and you move a little bit up the up the rotation a bit, yep. and in kind of the, doing yeoman's work as a penalty killer and two way guy in the bottom six for a couple teams. He, he was really effective, and you know, during the last couple of weeks of the season uh, in the SHL, he looked really good. And then he came over to the, to the Wranglers at the end of last season and played a couple of games and didn't look out of place. Uh, and especially for a guy who hasn't really played on the small right. ice that much, yeah, uh, he's the kind of guy that because he's had that pro polish uh, in in the Swedish system, I think he could click with what the Flames do. Quicker than a lot of other young guys, so those are the, those are the handful of guys I'm really looking forward to. But you know, part of the fun of these tournaments, Rob, as you well know, you know, you kind of want to see who stands out because you know yep. there's plenty of guys. There's been plenty of guys who the Flames have brought in on AHL deals in the past. Uh, Ryan Lomberg ended up yeah, getting an NHL sure. deal. Garnet Hathaway, a lot of oh. other guys. You know, you, you kind of want to see if one of these guys on AHL deals comes in and really grabs hold of it because, you know, you're you, they might not get NHL careers curved out as a result of this. But if you're somebody playing minor pro, the the, the pay difference between being on a two way NHL deal and being on an AHL only deal, it's pretty substantial. And you can set yourself up for a
1: pretty good uh, those you know, two career guys you mentioned, by having a good few weeks. But those two guys you mentioned are serviceable NHL players right? Yeah. And 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 they didn't have to give up anything to get there. No, 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 no. All right. I'll come back to camp in a second. You said something interesting, and I know it's a a ritual for you every Sunday night, but tell me about the mailbag, because as we head into this week, everything's fresh. What are the people what are the fans asking what where, where is their pulse on this because we're all going to do the same thing i've already seen oh here are my top five stories coming into camp and things like that and and we can make i guess the conversations i'm curious what people are asking you about right now it's a lot of questions about
4: you know when are the trades happening okay. uh and primarily circling around you know hannafin and Vladar for trades uh, okay. a lot of I think that the discourse around Elias Lindholm, especially since he did that uh, interview with uh, that Swedish outlet a couple weeks ago, has shifted a bit from, oh no, what's going on with Lindholm to well, when's Lindholm signing? Right. And I think uh, folks are sort of, auto- I think they're pre-anxious about the, the number. We don't have a number. We don't even have a contract yet, but I think people are starting to get riled up about a number that hasn't happened <laughs> yet. So, I mean. That seems so strange to me. You're serious.
5: Yeah. <laughs> it's
4: like, oh man, I wouldn't pay a first line center that much money. But I don't know. Yeah, so kind of no, things. no, I get and, I get but, it. but I but I also think folks are very curious about, you know, you know, uh, the we've seen a lot of PTOs, you know, our, our friends at cap Friendly have uh kept mm-hmm. the their website up to date with all the PTOs. A team that's conspicuously absent from the PTO run is the Calgary Flames. I know. And when you have your GM very publicly and very vehemently and doubling down on it in in further further media availabilities. Craig Conroy really thinks they should have some young blood in the lineup yep. and he's, they've left some spots open by my math. he probably got three to five spots that could conceivably be guys who are on entry-level deals. And that is a gigantic departure. And I think folks are going to be a little anxious until that camp roster comes out next week. And it doesn't have a lot of PTOs. I think, I think probably people are bracing themselves for maybe one or two PTOs, like, you know, I I figure Brett Sutter will be in a PTO technically because if you're, you know, the Flames don't have his NHL rights, so they need to sign to a PTO to show up to main camp.
1: You mentioned the doubleheader, right, Ryan? Like, there's a requirement. Right, and you have to have X amount of players. That's sometimes that's why you hire or hire. That's sometimes why you sign a couple of PTOS, right? Yeah, and
4: especially you know if you have guys coming off of injuries, like I imagine for forwards, they probably won't be leaning on Majiapani too much in their gotcha. early preseason games. You know yeah. they did that with with Chris Tannenf last year, so they'll probably listen to their medical personnel. But you know, aside from you know a handful of uh, guys carrying over from from rookie camp, like the guys on AHL contracts have to sign PTOS. I assume they will, mm-hmm. but beyond that, like I I don't really think there's a lot of spots that scream you need a veteran here. And I, and I think the, the, the nice thing for the flames, <laughs> and as much as fans do want to hear this as much of a tire fire as portions of the 22, 23 season were, you got a chance to see, you know, Pelche audition in kind of unideal circumstances. You threw him in and I don't think it's a secret that the coach wasn't really on board with, with yep. throwing kids into key roles right away. I think if you look at how Dar- how Daryl Sutter's traditionally used kids, they sort of start to, not- he, he, he basically be at home in Sweden in terms of how they use young guys with, you know, you get them, they get the scraps and they work their way up. Yep. Uh, and traditionally that's how he's used the kids, uh, yep. you know, if you look at how Pelche was used. You know, he got some really good deployments early on, and then the quality of his deployments fell off. But he, you know, considering who he was playing with and who he's playing against, he, he held his own pretty well. And then he went back and had a really good AHL playoffs. So I think you learn something about P- Pelche's uh, skill set and how it can translate. You saw Coronado practice with a group, you saw him in, in a, a nothing game, but you saw him. Mm-hmm. And I think they get a sense of how his, his game translates, especially I think seeing. Coronado in the World Championships gives your scouts extra reps, your development team extra reps to sort of see how he can be used. So I think the specific circumstance the Flames are at, where if you look at the the, the young guys that you know probably will push for jobs, Coronado, Door, Pelche, those are guys you've seen quite a bit in pro or pro-adjacent situations in the yes. last year. Yes. And I think you've learned a lot about them. And I think you have the ability, like this isn't like – you know, you're. It's not like you're bringing in Sean Monahan, French, fresh from the Ottawa Sixty Sevens in the draft, and saying, "Gosh, I hope he looks okay." You kind of know how these guys are going to look, and I think that really gives them uh, a bit of a barometer and a bit of a, a benchmark to, to, to sit these guys with. Because I think if I'm the if I'm the head coach, if I'm the GM, I can sit down with these guys on day one of camp. You do your you do your entry meetings, and you pull these guys aside and say, "Hey, we've already we know what your guys are capable of." We've seen it. You've done it here. You've done it with this jersey and then this building. And so just do do the thing. You don't need to do anything different than you've already been doing. And I think that could potentially, A, take a lot of pressure off those kids. And B, you know, I think if they're not sort of in their own heads or freaking out about the opportunity, I think they have the opportunity to be much more successful in camp than they would be in a different pressure cooker.
1: I I, I'm a little bit different in the sense that my fascination is almost with the blue line and it's in a weird spot because it's, it's not necessarily an impact spot, but with no Troy Stetcher and with no Michael stone, I am kind of curious who rides the seventh spot or the eighth spot or, or what, what that looks like.
4: I'm, I'm just really curious. I did a a piece on the site uh, earlier last week. How do the pairings look? Because even if you assume that, that you're starting seven, like, I really like Dennis Gilbert, but based on, you know, the, the way that the cap hits are, I think Dennis Gilbert's the eighth guy on the, on the depth chart right now behind Austerly and your top six are probably in some combination. I Hanef forgot and about Austerly. Yeah, <laughs> but you have, you have Hannafin and Anderson, you have, yeah. you know, uh, Shillington yeah, right. Tanev and you got Zadarov and weaker. You could, you could basically pick names out of a hat and you're going to get completely different looks. Yeah. And you know, the, the big question for me is like, okay, uh, your best defenseman, uh, uh, Rasmus Anderson, got hit by a friggin' car last year and still played 20 games afterwards and looked pretty good. Yep. How good can he be when he's not recovering from getting hit by a vehicle? Yep. weger was sort of figuring out his entire place existentially within the city, within the franchise, all kinds of things. And by, by after the All-Star break, he was spectacular. Like he was probably he one really of the, was. He was probably top ten in the league in terms of just being effective at anything he was being asked to do on both sides of the ice. And so, if he can come in and he looks anything close to how he did in April, that's a bonus. Oliver mm-hmm. Shillington, a didn't play for a year, which does two things. One, it might be a bit of a rust on him because he hasn't really played high end hockey in a year. But also, he hasn't been traveling. He hasn't been having two hundred pound guys crashing into him against the stationary boards on the time. So in terms of I I, I have can no I,
1: idea what to expect
4: from Shillington because
1: Can I give could, you another little piece in that? Yeah. He's been a pro hockey player since he was 16. Yeah. Right? He came over do you remember when he came over uh, and played the Amer- American Hockey League All-Stars? Do you remember At that? Eight,
4: yeah. It, he was Fargastad that year. That, and that's then right. he
1: got and then he got drafted and then he was playing pro hockey at 18 in a foreign country. Right. And he had already played two years of pro prior to that. So uh, it's interesting to me that he's the one, you know, and and I'm not talking about the reasons those are personal and and very important and, and should be treated with respect, but it's, it's very interesting to me that he's the one that took the year off because he's been playing at that level for so long. I wonder what that does. Yeah. And just the, especially the idea of,
4: you know, Everyone's mental health journey is their own journey. But the way I look at him from a, a, both a human and a player standpoint is conceivably, he might have been white knuckling it for God knows how long. Oh, and absolutely. he was so good in 21, 22. And I don't think we've seen nearly his best. I don't think we've seen nope. him at, at peace with the world, at peace with himself, at peace with, you know, wherever he yep. wanted to, to get uh, get dealt with. So I I really don't think we've seen anywhere close to how good Oliver Shillington can be. And if Oliver Shillington comes back is, and is anything close to what he was with Chris Tanev in that 21-22 season, then your top four blue line, not just for this season, but potentially for the the foreseeable future, contains Weger, Anderson, Shillington, and then you just need to find someone to play with the, the odd man out. That could be very good and i i think that gives you a lot of things to work from and i think you know if as as i always i always was, uh, i got i always get one or two sarcastic questions yeah. I, I hope they're sarcastic because you know i don't treat them as very seriously from fans uh on twitter when i'm doing the mailbag they're like one person commented oh god how, how bad are the flames going to be this year on <laughs> paper i'm not convinced they're going to be all that bad because uh, I, this I was don't. Like they they have enough talent that if they're aligned properly, if they use properly, and if they can, you know, I I think at worst, at worst, the Calgary Flames last year looked too much like six guys doing their own thing and not so much like one cohesive unit. If you can get these guys working in symphony, working in harmony Mm -hmm. with the skill sets that they have from top to bottom, they're going to be a faster team with no Lewis, with no Lucic, with no various Ritchie brothers, uh, they're going to be a, yes, you know, they're going to be a younger team. Yeah. And I think they're going to be a team that, you know, from top to bottom, like between the guys who are trying to knock on the door and carve out NHL roles for themselves, guys who aren't really, you know, NHL regulars or NHL locks uh, to the guys who are a year from free agency or a couple years from free agency. I think you're going to have a lot of guys come in with a chip on their shoulder because, you know, I'll viv- I vividly remember this, Rob. I remember covering that 13, 14 year. Uh, and actually also that 14, 15 year, 14, 15 is the one that really sticks in my mind because yeah. 14, 15, they, 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 finished the 13, 14 season fourth from last. They draft yep. fourth overall because they were fourth in the basement. Yep. They were flatly not good. Oh, and the I'm hockey very establishment uh, looked at that and went, okay, flames were lousy last year. They'll be lousy this year. And The flame, like speaking to a lot of players at the time, you know, every time we sort of brought up external expectations, they sort of chuckled and went, yeah, we'll see. Because I think, you know, these are all very proud individuals. Like they've all been very good at what they've done. You know, disclosure fans, the worst NHLer is so much better than you and I at hockey. It's crazy. (laughs) But all these guys come in and I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder because I think they're going to be have spent. You know, pretty much since April, you know, looking at people go, oh, you know, the losing to the Oilers blew up the Flames, haha, or oh, this happened to the Flames, haha, or you know, this, that, the other thing. I think people, I think a lot of people wearing flaming seas this year, from probably from front office on down, are gonna be very motivated to rub it in people's faces. And if you're, it, when you have that kind of external motivation. You can do some things. I, I think a lot of the fourteen fifteen success was partially part of it was puck luck, but part of it was because they just played their asses off because yeah. they, want, they, yeah. they felt like they had a point to prove.
1: Yeah. And- that was the find away flames, right? Like, you know, they were analytical darlings, weren't they?
4: Oh, they're analytical darlings until they weren't, and then fifteen sixteen, I think the the chickens came home to roost. Oh from that yes, perspective. They, yes but, they did. But I mean, like this is a team that if you look at you know if you look at the analytical analytical progression, you know, and we can we can dive into the the minutia of this another time because I have charts and everything, bud. Uh, <laughs> but if you look at the minutia of the of you know, the, the Treliving slash Conroy now era flames, they've gradually become a very good, occasionally elite possession team. Mm-hmm. last year elite possession didn't turn into much of anything because they had a bunch of stuff going on around the around the elite possession that undermined it yep. the year before they were a very good to borderline elite possession team that just beat the breaks off of teams at some times so I don't think you know to use the hubertoism I don't think they forgot how to play hockey over the course of the year and you know I don't think that they're necessarily going to hit the reset button and be 21 22 or 18 19 good but I also don't think they're anywhere near as bad as the hockey establishment N- thinks they are.
1: No, I think they're a play... That, t- sorry. I think the expectation should be a playoff team. I think that they were almost a playoff team last year and were so disappointing in the way that they
4: played. They missed the playoffs by three points with everyone having, like, one of their worst seasons ever, except for Backler and a couple other guys, and right. their best defenseman getting hit by a car during the pl- uh, during the
1: playoff push. Which is true, but it begs the question... And this is what I'm curious about the mailbag sometimes is, is it just good enough to make the playoffs? I'm not saying they're a Stanley Cup contender. I don't believe that. Now, I could be proven wrong if if certain things happen, but I believe they're a playoff team. And if Florida showed you anything last year, just get in, blah, 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 blah. But I'm curious because we went through this a couple months ago during the draft. Blow it all up. Start over. Rebuild, 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 right? There is that appetite out there. Yeah. Is there an appetite just to be a playoff team?
4: I think I, I'll i say this. Uh, I think fans, at least the fans I interact with, mm-hmm. they kind of want know what the plan is. And I think the problem is now, like, I don't think we're expecting Craig Conroy to come out with like a, a whiteboard, uh, you know, and sketch everything out. But I think the, I think what kind of roster we see, what kind of moves we see between now and maybe Christmas will really tell us a lot about what the tra- trajectory of the team is because, yes. You know, they, they're a team that, you know, they've got a pretty good farm system, but it's not elite. I think they have, you know, they, they're a, you know, their farm system is good. I think, uh, you know, various places, I think, uh, Stephen Stephen, uh, Ellis at uh, Daily Faceoff uh, ranked them 17th. Yeah. feels about right.
1: Yeah, right. Middle of the
4: pack. Middle of the pack. They have, I'd I'd say, system-wise, they don't have your tippity-top elite players outside of maybe Dustin Wolf because you need to draft very high in order to get those guys. Correct. But they've consistently, in the the early and even late rounds, found serviceable guys that can step in. I mean, when we're talking about, oh, I I mean, they still have to go through the, go through the, the, the progression, but Bell and Siona feel like guys that could be third and fourth liners on a good team, Mm -hmm. you know, if they, if they keep Mm -hmm. marching through. And so as much as you want every, every player to be kind of a home run, uh, you're also looking at guys who can step in that you don't have to expect assets to get. And they've been, they've been pretty good at finding kind of role guys I think the challenge is, though, can they find out those role guys that can be a little bit more? Or can they have those guys they take a chance on? Like I, you know, Johnny Gaudreau was a, a very astute pick in 2011, but he was also the kind of guy where they took, you know, they, they, he was what their third pick fourth. of that draft, third or fourth. fourth, fourth rounder. But I think it was their third pick because they didn't have a first. Oh, well, I might have made. No, he was
1: their he was their fourth. You're right. He was their fourth. They went to in this. Yeah.
4: Barchi was the consensus, you know, safe pick. He was the yeah. Sean Monahan style pick at, at uh, 11 or 13. Cause right. I think they went,
1: yeah, that's. Watherspoon and Granlin.
4: Wotherspoon and grandlin were very good. Uh, you know, Wotherspoon yeah. was a very, very uh, reliable defender on a very good junior team. Yeah. Uh, and Granlin had the bloodlines and he had had success in, in Finland. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, they took three guys from three different leagues. Or I guess three guys from two different leagues that were sort of safe picks yeah. and then, you know, take a swing and the swing turned out to be a very good swing. And you know, hell that, that 11 draft was pretty good. Cause they got Lauren Brassois of it too. But if you look at sort of sure. the modern flames drafting philosophy, I think if you look at kind of how they did things in 11, you can see a lot of the, the through lines to today, because what they do goalie late, uh, Swings uh, in the mid rounds at smallish offensive players, and then they basically went with the scouting consensus earlier on, and it turned into one of their better drafts ever. Yeah. And yeah, I think uh, the the successful drafts they've had have sort of led to that. But you know, they're they're, a, they're an organization where you know t- if they if they rebuilt, I also I don't think I, I think the guys that they have signed long term are too good for the team to completely tank, which hurts. Yep. And so uh, well, if, yeah,
1: yeah, if you paint right. yourself
4: in that corner, you might as well go for it, right? Well, that's as dumb as it sounds. No,
1: (laughs) this is a good time to remind people that if you get two, if you draft two players in a draft that play a hundred plus NHL games, that's the exception. That's not the rule. Like if you look at 32 teams, right. And I'll,
4: I'll go further, man. I'll go further. I I think right now, especially, you know, maybe the bar was set low after the the Daryl Sutter regime when he was GM, if you can, especially with how important development is like, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. I think if you look at the, we talked about Oscar Dansk, right person for, for the, the role he's in. Brett Sutter, right person for the role he's in. And I think they, they look at a lot of different, you know, personality types and skill sets and try to pluck specific people to sit in their firm system because, you know, as much as, you know, as much as it probably will hurt the Flames uh, and Flames fans to see, you know, the Hershey Bears play in the, in the, the fall with uh, Matthew Phillips, I think you're going to look at his time in Calgary with the Wranglers and early round with Stockton and go, man, he was so good and playing with someone that good really accelerate the development of a lot of players that they had high hopes for. Dear and, sir, did you
1: just think, did you just demote Matthew Phillips? You are not even putting him on the, the capitals roster at this point, you're putting him in Hershey. He hasn't made the team yet. Well, it's true. No, that technically that is true. But you know,
4: if you, at this point, like yeah. if you, if you're able to find really good minor league players really good minor league players, if they serve a developmental purpose are important
1: and they can
4: really help get your people to where they need to be. Yeah. And so, you know, I think they've done a really capable job, but you know, the folks who criticize the flames drafting and go, yeah, but they haven't found a lot of stars. Yeah, you're right. They haven't found a lot of stars and they have, you know, in, in places around where the flames have picked, there's been stars picked in different areas above and below. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a fair criticism to say, no, why didn't they pick that guy? But I also think that with the way they do it, I think they're looking at it in terms of try- trying to get a bunch of different things and a bunch of different people and a bunch of different positions.
1: I, I you know, it, it's, I love this conversation because I, I think it's, it's sometimes it's too ba- It's just too base. Like there's nuance to this. You brought up a great name, Laurent Bressois. That is a great pick at where he was picked and what he does. He's an NHL capable goaltender that was taken in the fifth round, right? And 6th or seventh, he was Okay, real, so it was I think even six
4: or seventh. But right. he he was the backup goalie for the Edmonton Oil Kings, and that was sort of the area era. I That's believe they had him and Tristan Jari, and they, yeah. they brought in a few other guys through uh, through the Oil Kings at that point. Like yeah. they were a factory, and they did a, such a good job developing players. And if you look at sort of the the people, both who played for the Oil Kings and who coached the Oil Kings, they're all over hockey right now in development factories because they tried to they tried to replicate what worked in uh,
1: Edmonton. Well, and the other one I brought up and I brought it up with Connie when he sat in here for a couple minutes earlier in July, um, was Fox. That still counts. I don't yeah. care what anybody That's says, that's a Norris trophy caliber defenseman who won it early in his career, who was taken in the third round. Yeah. Right.
4: And, and that's, that's a product of, of you know, uh, button and feast button and, button and Feaster and later on for living also. I mean, I think one of the better things that the the flames did during their during you know Jay Feaster gets a lot of credit. I believe Brian Burke's exact phrasing when uh, when he dismissed Burke or dismissed living or not, when he dismissed Feaster. He gave yeah. him credit. I believe he used the phrase he shovel out the barn for us. Yeah, and he had kind of a thankless job. And they they got rid of some bad contracts and they. Built up the drafting and development team a bit. They yeah. they put in some really clear metrics and some really clear things. They integrated data into it. And then True Living came in and said, how well, how's this work? Okay, cool. What do you need? Okay, let's build onto it. And then they built onto it and built onto it. And heck, you know, we're at the point now where we just saw the announcement uh, you know, over the weekend where the Flames have hired more scouts, they've hired more development people, they have more development staff than they did before. They have different different configurations and more amateur scouts than they did before yep. they, they haven't ha- uh officially they haven't had a dedicated reserve list scout until this year <laughs> with uh, peter labardius
1: yeah yeah it's
4: like they, i think that, i think that's a, this you know there's there's always a tendency when when you know you have a regime change to you know burn b- burn the boats burn down what it came before and build something new but i think you know one of the more savvy things that was done over the last 15 20 years in the city has been flames brass coming in and going well hold on a second what 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 was the plan here what worked right okay what do you need then what do you need to make this work better and if you look at you know how the flames worked, i mean Tre Living added a bunch of USHL and Collegiate Scouts into that area. and lo and behold, you know they they found adam fox. they found uh, they found a bunch mm-hmm. of guys. like Emilio Peterson was one of those guys that came out of that system too, out yeah. of that scouting regime. So yeah. you know it's it's guys that you might not have found before that helped your team and helped your system.
1: All this goes without saying, this is neither one of us saying that finishing into the lottery and winning a lottery or drafting first overall for four of six years or whatever that was that our friends of the North did. Remember, there's only one legacy team, and they're not truly a legacy team because they're not original six, but there's only one team for the 21-team NHL that has never drafted first, never drafted higher than fourth, and that's the Calgary Flames. And And it's impossible. And I'm pretty sure right?
4: at the at the end of October, Rob, when I go up and and, uh, do, and watch the, the outdoor game up there, yeah. uh, we're having pops. I'm pretty sure some folks up there will refer to the decade of darkness. And the reason why they call it decade of darkness, you know, Bradshaw Living's phrasing whenever he talked about someone says, oh, you're going to trade up. You're going to get the first, second, whatever overall pick. He always sort of winced and went, teams won't go through a lot of pain to get those picks. You know, they call it the decade of darkness in Edmonton because, and I don't think it's unfair to say, the team is lousy and lousy for a long time. And so 20 years, the team, especially during that decade of darkness, they yes. were borderline unwatchable. And you yes. know those, our poor friends in the north had to, that's all they had to watch Yes, for hockey. For, and, you know, I think at that point they might have even had the oil Kings.
1: No, no, and and, and and it's impossible to sell tickets. It's impossible to do this. It's impossible to do that. For a fan who only is worried about the results, I get it. But when you're looking at the business of hockey, it's death. Yeah, it's and death.
4: Ima- imagine, imagine being a hockey fan in that city, and first of all, you don't have Chinooks, and you're farther north, so the winter is darker and colder and never ends. And also, your hockey team's terrible. And it's been oh, terrible I- last year, and it was terrible the year before. You can't remember the last time they were any good.
1: No, I, I, listen, I feel no, I have no sympathy for them. Um, Before I let you go, I got two more questions for you. One, and you just brought it up and I'll bring it up because I, I ranted on it on, on Friday. Terribly disappointed that it's just going to be a straight NHL game at the Heritage Classic. Just, ter- was, you know, and outdoor. it feels like we're checking a box just to make sure that Connor McDavid gets to play a home outdoor game. That's what it feels like. Yeah, and
4: I mean, like, you, especially, especially, I mean, you know, we, we talk about how good the alumni group is here. And Rob, mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you any of that, because yeah. you know, yeah. quite well, they yeah. have a pretty good alumni group in Edmonton, too. And I think it would have been so fun to have kind of like a party atmosphere of just you know, you're telling a generation of fans, hey, come on down, we're going to, you know, you might not be able to get Kiprasov over, but you could probably get Mike Vernon to play, you can get Brent Cron and those guys, you can sure. get, you know, a bunch of the Oilers faithful too, yep. and you could have had like a cool, fun, nostalgic thing, like you could do, you know, like I, I understand not wanting to wreck up the ice, and I get it, but I mean, I don't think you'd have to worry about, you know, the, these guys in their 40s and 50s wrecking up the ice, you know, carving, carving too much, uh, it'd be basically a glorified Chini game, but it would it would have been a lot of fun. And,
1: and you can you know- do it after, like, I get it. Okay. So you want to protect the ice. I get it, but leave the ice in for a week right let, yeah. let the other teams play to me it's got to be a festival ryan if because i'm always the guy that defends the outdoor classics against the you know against the establishment now you got to do you got to do it you got to do it, you gotta do it. Well, especially
4: but I, the idea like they're for that market they're for that home yes, market so the idea yes. is you're like you know especially you know at the at their best the outdoor games are you know they're meant to be a party they must be like sure. okay if you're if you watch if you're if they're live you get the atmosphere and, you yeah. know, it's meant to sort of be for you. But if you're watching on TV and they do so many of these things, you want it to be a party. Like, I think Seattle Vegas is going to be a friggin' blast because that's going to be so weird, man. But it's going to be oh, like, yeah. it's going to be so fun uh, to have
1: an outdoor game. Well, that in Anaheim L.A. game was cool. Yeah, that, right. that was really
4: even the, the, the like Tahoe games they did during the pandemic season. Those are yeah. weird, but they were like the fun kind of weird. And I kind of, yeah. you know, I, I like the idea of the NHL trying weird new things, but I also kind of like the idea of them like, you know, you want to make it a fun party. You want to sort of yeah. you know say say to fans, hey, you know, you know you haven't seen Jerome again to the play uh, on in in you know this ice in a while. We'll bring him in. He'll he him and Conroy can, can be on an alumni team together, it'll be fun. But we you know, we're not gonna see okay, what I think a lot of fans would have driven three hours in, in October to watch Jelena, uh, Aginla and Conroy play an alumni game. And I you think a lot have, of other fans you could have, have brought have in
1: Donovan suit. in, you could have brought Clark in, you could have brought McLennan in, you could have brought a whole bunch of guys from 3 04, 20 years later, right? And you don't I mean the red mile team still sells, Commodore could have been there, right? Like, you know, you ship in Marcus Nielsen and you send and them you, up and there you
4: can get some of those others guys from the same era i mean you know those would be that would have been you know cool cool little system but you know you, know, you and I we, are in charge. But no, I we're wish not. Some we're
1: times. not. And the NHL's got to wake up because they have a responsibility to, to build the game. They're they're just checking boxes again, and that's what pisses me off. I just um,
4: I just hope there's a media skate. I'm selfish. I just hope there's a. No, media I,
1: skate. I said that before. Media skate. There should be a junior game. There should be a college game. There should be a women's game. There should be minor hockey games. And yeah, I get it. They. I and listen. Maddie Callan down at the dome right now is listening to this, throwing things at his computer because he's a guy that travels around. Him and Richard Gurney from Calgary help make the ice in these plays. Places, and I know it's difficult to put the ice in and we know there's weather challenges. I get that, but who, and what are you, this is intended to be a celebration. It's intended to help grow the game again. And I, this is me taking a shot at the Oilers and, and Connor McDavid, but this one just feels like, well, Connor better have a home game outdoors on his resume. That's what this feels <laughs> like. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's,
4: it's going to be fun to like, it's going to be a cool atmosphere, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to miss some of the coolness that could have had having a bunch of more fun things sort of around it, making it more of a, a big week long party. Cause like, you know, it's yeah. right now, it feels like, Oh, it became 13. So it's like, yeah, okay. No, that,
1: that, right. That's what it feels like. Right. Rather it's than game-
4: be like, you know, Hey, everybody come to Edmonton for the whole weekend. We'll have a thing on Friday. We'll have a thing on Saturday. Well, you know, it's, it, it could be something a lot more than it is. And I kind of wish it was a bit more than it is because
1: yeah
4: it would have made it a lot more fun. But it's, I mean, it's still going to be fun. I think when, when you get 60,000 people in that stadium and, you know, you hear, you know, the, the, the very oh, it, dueling go flames, yeah. go, you know, go winners, go chance. That's going to be a lot of fun.
1: No, it'll be good. It, it just, it bugs me that, you know, they could do more and have fun. Um, What's okay. So here we are firing it up. It's not firing it up. It's like nations like flames nation went dark for three. It's, it's probably been the busiest of all of the, uh, the the websites and stuff that I follow all year. So it's not like you're all of a sudden firing things up, but as a managing editor, what should we be paying for Paying attention for it at, at flames nation right now?
4: Well, we're, we're closing out the, uh, our annual prospect rankings. We're at number three now. And then we got the first two, uh number oh, one number i wonder who's out. number
1: one i wonder i, I wonder, wonder who's
4: number uh, number three was jacob pelche uh right. p- published monday and then we have two more to go and then we'll have okay. our sort of our our state of the prospect uh snapshot and then you know friday games get going we you know 8 30 start on friday night in calgary time yep. uh the you know we'll have the a lot of Penticton coverage no one none of us are going to Penticton, but our friend chris faber from uh uh Knox Army will be there live. Oh, so good. Be, okay. he'll be sending us some his live observations and you know we'll have uh it's, you know we treat the Penticton games like we do every other game. We'll be doing full breakdowns after mm-hmm. every single game. Uh, that Monday afternoon, Monday morning game will be kind of a 10 a.m. we've got to figure out how we're gonna juggle all of that. But you know this this is a fun time. It's you know we've gone from you know we've been I think speaking for, you know, all the fans I talked to, all well, everyone's sort of been nervously twiddling our thumbs all summer going, okay, when's this stuff getting going? Because we've been hearing about all the things that could happen or might happen or maybe will happen, but now things are going to start happening. and
1: <laughs> They have be, no choice.
4: It's Regardless of yes. <laughs> yeah, we got three, three, three Penticton games and a couple of days off, and then the Flames main camp reports, and then the next Sunday is their first preseason game, and then they play – a bunch of preseason games, and then all of a sudden, it'll be October 11th, and we'll be watching the Jets play the Flames at the Dome. Uh, this is the time of year that you know the next three days before the puck drops on uh, in Penticton will seem like a hundred years, and then it'll all go like that.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I've said it before, I I'm, I sound like an old curmudgeon, but th- this is that period of time I don't like right now because somewhere along the line, the captain skates became popular and then your boss goes, ah, you should go down and talk to the players at the captain skates. So you go down and talk to them and then, then it's the first day you ought to go talk to them first day of training camp and it's the same old, same old BS until, I, I'll tell you what I'm really fascinated by, Ryan, and I don't know, maybe I'm weird on this. I want to see how Huska runs a camp. Because I've been through enough, oh, we're going to play a three-on-three tournament for the next two days, or we're going to, no pucks for four days, or, or I'm, whatever. I'm se- curious.
4: Selfishly, I'm kind of curious what kind of drills they do, because yeah, just the idea too. of, like, you know, I, I think you can learn a lot about what they want to do from their drills. Like, 100%. you know, so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's the most fascinating time of year, and I think, you know, folks have you know, between five and 500 questions about what the team is going to be like <laughs> this year and this year setting the tone for the next three to five, we're going to start getting some forms of answers starting as early as Friday. And I think uh, it's going to be very exciting. It's, it's never dull covering the Calgary flames. Uh, it's always a privilege to cover. I think this is my, I don't even want to th- I started covering the team in 10, 11, yeah. Uh, and I've been credentialed since the lockout 12, 13 years. And this is like the better part of a, a, like a, more a than a quarter of my life has been yeah. spent doing this. Uh, but I'm very, very fortunate renowned. to do it. and I'm really excited to, to for us to share all the things we uh, we see. We write. We have a I'll say this, you know, Rob, you you sort of uh, hinted at something that fun that's coming out in, in this in the spring. Very we have a well, lot this. of stuff we haven't teased yet that we have coming up. Very uh, cool. Probably starting as soon as uh, as the first predicting game in terms of you know content, we're going to start rolling out and testing out, and getting fans feedback on because you know this is this is supposed to be fun. We're meant to uh, mm-hmm. to augment fans enjoyment of this fine sport, and so we're going to try some stuff out. And you know, if you like what you're doing, tweet at me. If you hate what we're doing, tweet at our yyc.
1: There you go. yeah awesome now finally somebody will talk to me uh ryan i appreciate this As always great to have you back on board we will connect with you i guess after a game actually on monday we will have game results to talk about so looking forward to it yeah talk to you soon bud all right thanks ryan Ryan Pike, everybody, the managing editor of Flames Nation. You heard it right there. Very exciting stuff coming up. Of course, you uh, home of everything that's going on with the Calgary Flames. Brought to you by Ski Sellers Snowboard. skisellerssnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Two locations are open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Bull Ridge Road Northwest. Get in there. Find out what do you need? What are you going to need? Clothing. All of that. Equipment. All of that. But it's the expertise that's going to tip that. A whole experience for you right over the edge. Uh ski seller snowboard, ski sellersnowboard.com. Uh before we pack up shop, do we have uh Jack, have you been monitoring? Do we have any questions? Yep, we got a or, couple questions. All right, it, but so on, we, we are trying to pay attention more to the comments and, and I want Jack to have a more prominent role. So Take her away.
3: First of all, not really a question, but are, do you have any idea if these Penticton games will be live streamed at all anywhere yes. people can go watch them?
1: I can, based on a, a tweet that Ryan Pike put out, the team will be streaming the games from Penticton. Awesome. So there you go. If Phillips doesn't make the Caps roster, should the
3: Flames make a waiver claim, bring him back?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, when we brought Craig on, I asked him specifically about Phillips. And the two years was the the the, the thing that they didn't want to do, right? That He got two years. I believe he got two years in in uh, Washington. Yes, I still believe in the kids. So the question was asked to me. So I'm going to say yes. I, 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 I find sometimes when I get into these questions, I'm trying to be too diplomatic. I don't think they should have let him go. I think he should have been given a chance. So, you know, in this case, yeah, I, I if, if they do send him down to Hershey, claim him. But he, he they but other teams might do that too, right? You know that other teams might take that risk too for a guy that can produce points. Just hasn't done it at the NHL level yet. When Lindholm signs his extension, what will his
3: AAV be?
1: I guess I was always in the impression that it was going to be under nine, uh, around eight and a half. Um does the Austin Matthews contract now act as a driver? Um, you know, the, the, the part we have to remember in all of this is the cap opens up next year. Right. And they expect that there could be as much as $10 million added to the cap in the following two years. Um, but I would anticipate that um, who set the bar in Carolina? Uh, was it AHO? Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think it's going to fall in line there. I think it is going to be for a first line center. I think at minimum it's going to be 8.5.
3: Yeah. I, I have a feeling it's going to be closer to nine. Yeah. 8.5. eight five. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another Lindholm related question here. So last year Huberto and Lindholm started the season together and they never went back to it. Do you read too much into that? What, what were your thoughts on that last year?
1: Well, uh, to me, it's, where's it? It's about getting Huberto going and, and getting them comfortable two years ago. Elias Lindholm was the most underpaid player in the entire National Hockey League when he you know when he was playing uh, with that top line right with kachuk and and, uh, and Gaudreau. Um, I think he's the, the nice thing about Elias Lindholm, I know his age isn't what everybody wants it to be, but he is at least flexible enough that he can play. If not him, then who right? Um, to me it's is who, who does Huberdeau want to play with? If you played him with Kadri and played Kadri up the middle, would Kadri create more room for Huberto, right? Um, but if you put your, I think you put your best players together. I really do, and and at least let them see. To the point of the the question, they just weren't given a lot of time, right? Yeah, it seemed like it was, and you never got the sense that the players had a lot of input on in that. Yeah, which hey, you know, you can't be running the institution. I get that part, but you know, it really seems to me, don't you think, Jack, that the Flames spent a lot of time this summer telling us that. You know, they really want to get Huberto going. They want to put him, make 100%. him comfortable. So I anticipate he gets to pick his center to start. I agree.
3: Who will lead the Flames in goals? And do they have a 30 goal scorer on their team?
1: <sighs> Jack, this is where you're gonna learn you have to save me from myself right here. <laughs> this is this is this is where I need to be saved. I was thinking about this with Ryan and I was kind of combining it with Friday's show when we had to make predictions and I hate making predictions. Is it out of the realm of possibility that Matt Coronado goes off as a rookie? Is it out of the possibility that this kid, because you know, mind you can score at this level. He didn't score last year. He could very easily lead this team. Lindholm can score at this level. He could. I don't think it's going to be Huberdo because I think he's going to be your setup guy. But you know, after all of this consternation about drafting and never getting this first overall picks and stuff like that, Coronado's not a not a raw rookie. He's not a right out of high school kid. He's he's got some world championships. He's got all of that. I know he's going to Penticton. And I it's it's terrible, terrible, terrible when you say, Oh, I think he could, but he is the one guy. That I think we all look at. If the Flames are going to have a breakout rookie, um, it's unless there's an injury, probably won't be Wolf in terms of a big, giant breakout. He, He, you know, you move Ladar, he plays 30 games, he wins 15 or something like that. Yeah. But what if Coronado goes off? What if Coronado turns out to be the player that they drafted? What? And that's putting a ton of pressure on him. And I'm not putting pressure on him, but what if it happened? Because, um, it's not out of the, you know, this happens all the time, you know, the older rookies, the, you know, there's going to be so much on 18 year old uh, Bedard, right. Connor Bedard, what's Connor Bedard going to do. And, and, you know, the, uh, the kids in, uh, in Columbus and stuff like that, but is it out of the realm of possibility that, you know, Coronado's maturity comes in, settles in on the second line. And all of a sudden pops that, you know, I have just doomed him to the same fate that the Bengals have right <laughs> by suggesting any kind of prediction with him he will now likely spend most of the year with the wranglers so there you go
3: i'm gonna say andrew Manji Pawnee.
1: if he's healthy we know he can do it right yeah we know he can do it but i don't i here's what i don't think they have i don't think they have a 40 50 guy
3: no i think it's depth scoring for sure
1: 100 and that's what it has to be like you you still need 10 12 from back when you yeah. need you know, you need your third liners to have a couple of double digits and it'd be great if you had a fourth liner that could get you a double digit total too. Right. Last
3: one here. Yeah. Uh, in your time in the radio, did you ever like talk bad about a
1: player and then they came and confronted you about it? Yep. Um, I had okay. So three, three examples I would give, um, one was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, player it was rob cooks an assistant coach one time i went on the radio and i said you want more goals because it, it was the you know 06 seven, we're right in that era right and it was just after the dead puck era and they weren't scoring a lot of goals and and everybody was wow we got to do this to open up the game and everything and i i just i bluntly said one day you want more goals in the national hockey league ban assistant coaches If you had one coach on the bench and you banned assistant coaches, you would have more mistakes, you would have more hiccups, and you would end up with goals. My intention was not to say we should ban assistant coaches. My intention was to say that if you want more goals, you have to create mistakes. And this game is so highly coached. Video and all of those sort of things. So Rob Cookson called me out on that. Um, Curtis Glencross signed an extension and... um, the morning show which now is on this station um uh, took umbrage with the dollar total and i went down to the not knowing this i went down to the um the the availability and and curtis uh heard it and uh was asked a question and and he uh kind of looked at me and you know kind of got mad at what he'd heard on the radio which i didn't say um but they said he was overpaid and then Credit to the Flames, and this is where the Flames have a real strength, is Peter Hanlon and the comms department. They, We we all got together afterwards, and, and Curtis understood that it wasn't me that said it. Um, and I, I'd be fascinated if uh, – did it come up with Reggie? Reggie came down and confronted Boomer and I about Warner, that uh, we were talking about retro going on long-term injured reserve, and and Robin Regeer came down to the hot stove lounge and, and uh, you know – asked us what we thought we were doing that we were trying to create problems where there weren't problems and and we were it was directly about Rhett Warner. So, yeah, oh no, it's uh, it, but and I I would also say though when I was doing that, I was there every day. So, um uh, oh and and Conroy. Well, when were we talking about Conroy? Conroy got mad at me um about uh, his contract in Los Angeles when he signed um as a free agent. Uh, he got $5 million and um, I, I, he, he came on and we talked to him. And and then later on, I said, you know, seems like a lot of money. He, he brings that up all the time and reminds me that I said that. Um, I believe that's what it was about, but it was about, you know, he, he, uh, he remembers me saying he was over, or he, he was saying, remembers me saying that he was overpaid. And um, I also made a comment one time about Americans and his wife, Uh, heard it and she brought it to him and he Craig Conroy keeps me accountable. Like he dude listened. And uh, there have been some times like, yes, he spent two hours here and he was awesome, but he's not a shrinking violet. Like if you say something that he doesn't agree with, he has no problem telling you. So um, yeah, there was some stamps. I think some times where I was in the stamps dressing room. Um, But I, I, I'd like to believe that uh, I never had, nastiness or, or stuff like that. Like I remember a rookie Nick Lewis taping an Eric Francis column on his back and going out and practicing. Um So, you know, I've, I've seen that nuttiness um, and uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon, uh, Bridget, Brandon ended up leaving here and went and played in the NFL for Seattle. Um, came up here, Brandon Bridges, Bridger. is that remind, anyway, big, tall uh, DB. And uh, he he just was destroying the media after a game one day, just yelling at everybody. So um, yeah, I yeah I have, uh, but that that to me is 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 part of it. Um, I, I would say teams have con- contacted me. When you do this, you're talking. This is not a script. These are notes. So there's times where I have said things. And afterwards, I regret them because they're not true or because it came out wrong. And I will proactively contact and go, hey, listen, that's not what I meant to say. Um, but I long held the belief that I would leave this business going out because y- y- you say something stupid or something wrong or whatever. Um, because the mic is li- it's live and everybody can hear it. So um, did I answer the question or did I babble on?
3: Oh, you did a perfect job. Okay, You have
1: another one here. Yeah. How much
3: influence do the Flames have on Sportsnet TV and radio broadcasts?
1: They're partners. Um, but I think the best description of that I can give you is that I, I think the Flames are very upset that the radio team doesn't travel, but doesn't get to, um, doesn't get to, uh, um, do, doesn't get to, you know, doesn't get their way in that. Mm-hmm. Um so I got fired in uh April of 2014. And uh um I remember I met with Ken King soon afterwards and and Ken and I have or you know God bless him I miss him every day. Uh but we fought like cats and dogs and and he had no problem telling me what he thought and to this day the hardest thing I've ever heard ever heard out of anybody's voice was Ken said to me, "You know, and we sat down and he was sorry. I know how much this job meant to you. It was your dream and everything like that. And, you know, I thought he was being really sympathetic. And then he he looked at me, he says, but you know, you cheered louder for the visitors than you did the home team. And, uh, that was hard for me to take really hard for me to take. And I, I I don't believe for a second, the flames, uh, ever had anything to do with my firing. I think it was just, they had sports and had the opportunity to get somebody better and they chose that. That's how life works, you know. The Flames will get a better player. The Flames got a better play-by-play guy, so I have no ill will there. But that was hard cheese. Um, but I think the, you know, the Flames are partners with Sportsnet, um, but Sportsnet ultimately has the final say. Does that answer that question? Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm scared now. I'm, I'm scared. Like I'm, I'm skirting. I try. I'm trying to be as honest as I can. Um, and I don't, you know, I have nobody over my shoulder anymore. Yeah, I don't care what anybody says. It was hard at Rogers at times because of your the, the politics of it and things like that. Um, that's just the business. I mean, you and I were talking about the business earlier today. Mm-hmm. It's silly sometimes. It's it's very wrestling-like. There's a lot of drama where there doesn't need to be drama. 100%. That'll do it. That'll me. do it. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it. A uh, couple things before we go. Uh, congratulations to Andrew Ladd. Andrew Ladd, uh, one thousand one NHL games. He got there the hard way. He announced his retirement yesterday. Andrew has a uh, a great foundation initiative called, I believe it's called sixteen sixteen, and he is working with young uh, players and their mental health. And Andrew, um, I felt really bad for him towards the end of his career. He was in the minor leagues. Um, he did get up some games with Arizona that got him over a 1,000. Uh, he and Ryan Getzlaff were two of the finest junior hockey players I ever saw in this city. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff, I think, almost always outshined Andrew Ladd a little bit in the sense of, you know, a little bit over the top. But Andrew Ladd was a really good hockey player. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, Carolina in Chicago. Um, uh, he's just, you know, as good a representative of the game as you're ever going to find. And, uh, Yeah. So I just wanted to tip my hat and recognize that he is uh, is hanging it up, but he's still important, an important part of the game and will continue to be an important part of the game. And finally, uh, by now, everybody's very familiar. Uh, Parachutes for Pets is a group that I work with and I'm very excited about this. Saturday, we opened the world's first pet advocacy center down by Chinook. Uh, 10 to 5, come on down if you want. But uh, part of uh, the buildup to this is a uh, doghouse building uh, auction. And, uh, Michael Backlund has, uh, stepped up. He's, uh, the original, um, uh, uh, I guess you call it ambassador influencer. Uh, Mackenzie Weger's come on board for parachutes. And then they've got some other great ones. Chris Cederstrand, Grace Dafoe, people, Trent McClellan, people, Darren Haynes, people who've been on this show, lots of people picking up. Anyway, um, Michael's worked on, uh, commissioning a Zamboni doghouse, um, very special Zamboni doghouse. Um, there it is. It is, uh, it is being auctioned off. You can go to Elevate Auctions right now. You can go to Parachute's website. Um, the front end, I, I don't know if I have the front end picture there, but the dog enters from the front end. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Dog goes in the red and, and there's, and then at the back, um, there's a, a bowl. Uh, for food and water. And then uh, what's not represented there is uh, right where that space is uh, next to the seat. There is now a place for food containers. So um, there's space inside there for toys and you can open the roof to look at the dog and um, all the proceeds from this. And Michael's going to sign this, by the way. So he'll personalize it and sign it. Um, Michael uh, is the benefactor of, uh, of, or, or he is the, the reason, he, Frida and Michael Backlin are the reason there is um, Lily's Legacy, which is uh, based off of their pet, which helps kids who are in foster care keep their animals. Not a lot is, you know, Mike won the King Clancy Award. Part of it was for his work there. So anyway, if there's some other cool dog houses, if you want to check it out, all the proceeds are going directly to Parachutes for Pets. And again, uh, 6120 First, uh, First 1A Street southwest just uh uh, one half a quarter of a block north of the chinook train center or lrt station uh the grand opening is 10 to 5 on saturday uh we got another show coming up on friday uh october 4th we are back to three times a week um and uh, looking forward to it obviously enjoyed the hockey talk you can bet we're going to be ramping up the hockey talk make sure you check out uh the uh, live from 55 with Danny Austin as well. Uh, the barn burner podcast, uh, so much good stuff happening here at the nation. And, uh, rumor has it little birdies told me there's some really cool stuff coming down the pipe. So be around. Thanks to Jack. Who's done an amazing job, uh, keeping us on track and making sure this pr- uh, program works. And uh, thanks to you for tuning in. Thanks to Ryan Pike. We'll see you on Friday, everybody.